Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many blessings that you bestow upon our life. Lord, help us to recognize them more freely, uh, Lord, and to give you the glory for them. And we just pray for your word again, once again, to, to dwell richly and deeply in our hearts and that you'd be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We're going to carry on with a similar theme from this morning, and that is the fact that we have a great and awesome God. Amen. There's uh, nothing greater than him and nothing more awesome than him. In fact, uh, the word awesome should probably be left to him alone. Amen. Yeah, rather than anything else. And uh, I remember once I think I shared with you about the, the lady, Corey Ten Boom, how she was in a prisoner or war camp with her sister. And uh, they, they were, it was pretty bad. And um, there was a place called Ravensbruck, and I was sort of looking at it on a documentary the other day. You wouldn't want to live there. You, you know, it is a terrible, terrible place. And uh, when they got into these barracks, they, they, they were jam-packed. They were standing up, sleeping. That's how many people were pushed into them. And it was overcrowded with fleas and lice. So as soon as they walked in, they were scratching, and they were all up against one another. And uh, they had a scripture reading that morning, and it was First Thessalonians, and they were reminded to rejoice always and to pray constantly and give thanks no matter the circumstance. And uh, Betsy, Corey's sister, told her to, to stop and thank the Lord for their new living quarters. She said, praise God that we've got a roof over our head. And uh, but, uh, Corey said, well, how can we praise God for this? But her sister continued and... And they were months in that camp and they were surprised that they were able to hold Bible studies and prayer meetings and not have any of the soldiers interfere. And it wasn't until months later they learned the reasons that the guards weren't going to go in there because of the fleas. <laughs> and they were able to do whatever they wanted. So praise God, eh? So, so, so no matter what situation in life, what it doesn't matter what it is, we can rejoice in a great and awesome God. You know, he redeemed mankind from the very depths of despair. He has saved man from an eternity, which is hell is an absence of God. An absence of himself for eternity. A loneliness, a, a hopelessness, a place where the, there'll never be any rest. A place which, which will never have any peace or light. And God has provided a way through his son into his glorious kingdom. Now, through his provision of salvation, man is saved. No other way. Man could not provide a way. Man could not earn his way into the kingdom. God provided it through his son. It's through his redemption and in him alone. Not tradition, not religion, but in Christ and Christ alone we are saved. Now, how is that truth, that awesome act of God's love for, for you and me and, and for all who want to accept it, how is that impacted upon our lives? How do we respond when we read and understand what God has done for us? Is the praise of God on our lips today? Does it sound not just from lip service, but from hearts and souls overcome at joy unspeakable at what God has done? Are we responding to him in a way that recognizes just what was accomplished through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Hey, listen, it was all done on behalf of us. And we're going to look to today at that passage of Scripture. has been one of my favorites for years. In fact, there's a verse that has been in my heart ever since I was saved. And it says, until the people pass over, Lord, till the people pass over. Simple words, but what a truth. We're his. We're, we're going to get there. 
no matter what. What we're going to look at today is who God is, verse 11, what God has done, verses 12 to 15, and what God is going to do in verses 16 to 18. Now, Exodus chapter 15, we, we, we know, or we should know, it's a song of praise. It's Israel's song of triumph. They're on the shores of the Red Sea, and they, they had witnessed the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, Exodus 14, 31. They saw what God had done for them. They had seen God's salvation, and because of that, they're singing his praises. They're, they're recounting his mighty acts on their behalf. Verse 1, it says, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spoke, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. Can you imagine watching when they went through the Red Sea and when it would just crash down on Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's army? I was reading uh, not long ago, and I read it many years ago, to a professor of the top church in the United Kingdom. He, he, he proclaims it was the Reed Sea that they crossed over. Now, the Reed Sea is a bit further up from the Red Sea, and the Reed Sea is just a marsh. There's about four or five inches of water in it, and that's all. And I uh, heard one guy say, well, what a, what a miracle. And the professor wanted to know, what do you mean? And he said that God could drown a whole army in six inches of water. <laughs> but that's not the truth, you see. The truth is it was the Red Sea. Now, in Israel's life, up until this point, in their captivity, there's been no praise of God. Remember, a new king had risen up in Egypt who knew not who? Joseph. Joseph. They'd forgotten all about what Joseph had done, the blessings he had brought upon that country. And the new pharaoh, the new king, he enslaved the people of Israel and he made them work under terrible hardships. And God heard their cries of pain, and the beautiful God hears our cries of pain. They say laboured and making bricks, but there's no songs of praise. See, it wasn't until they were redeemed, those are saved people, they found themselves surrounded by the fruits of God's salvation. And, and we have here some 600,000 people singing a song of victory. Can you imagine that? 600,000 singing the praises of God. Man, what a day it'll be when we get to glory and hear the singing and praise of God around that throne. And in many things, they are our types. And C.H. McIntosh, he wrote, We too must know ourselves as saved in the power of death and resurrection before we can present clear and intelligent worship. You know, when, when a person fails to enter in fully to the redemption that Christ accomplished, they're always going to be a bit reserved. They're going to be a bit hesitant in their Christian life. See, they may acknowledge the fact that Christ alone can save, but there's a, a difference from recognizing by faith that the true character and salvation is actually ours. See, the, the Spirit of God clearly reveals to us in the Word of God that the church is united to Christ in the death and resurrection and more that a risen Christ sits now at the right hand of God's throne in glory as proof of what Christ did is acceptable to God. And when we believe that, it takes us past any region of doubt and any region of uncertainty in our walk with him. 
See, how can Christians doubt when he or she knows we are, listen, we are continually represented before the throne of God by our Savior, Jesus Christ, the righteous, continually. And it's the privilege of the weakest, of the weakest children of God to know that they were represented on the cross by Christ and every one of their sins were judged at that point. But many struggle. They many struggle to apply that personally. Yes, they, they think God truly did all that. But like Psalm 73 too, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. See, they, they struggle, many struggle to live in victory. They struggle to, to worship God the way he intends for them to worship him. See, many are still praying about their salvation instead of rejoicing. We have it. It's ours. God wants to, us to rejoice in the fact he has saved us. You see, what happens, people look at their imperfect fruits instead of Christ's perfect atonement. People are focused on, on self instead of the saviour. You see, a believer's salvation from sin is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, lest anything I can do to add to that. And not once in this passage of Scripture is self-mentioned. Not its feelings, not its fruits, not its saying, not once. This is all about the Lord God. It's a, it's a song of joy for the Lord. It's about who He is, what he has done and what he's going to do. And what, what a difference it would be to our worship of God if we got a hold of what that truly means for us. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Look at Moses. He asks a question. Who is like thee, O Lord, among the gods? And we see the answer there is God is glorious in holiness. You see, God is a holy God and nothing or no one is holier than him. Now, 30 times the word holiness is mentioned in the Old Testament. Each time it means the same. And holy is to be pure, clean. It means a newness and a freshness to be separated. In other words, God is completely pure, completely clean separated from anything unclean, from any sin and any evil. See, God's whole nature, his whole total being is that of holiness. He isn't like any other God. The other gods, you know what the other gods did? They encouraged the murder of young babies by sacrificing them. You know what the gods of this world are doing today? We're still murdering young babies. Hundreds and thousands of them in abortion clinics are being murdered. We're still doing it. They were gods, they, 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 they took part in the killing of young women, virgin women. There was self-mutilation. They were gods that, that demanded death and pain on their subjects and they promoted evil, they promoted wicked ways and unclean acts. And look at the world we live in today. That's exactly what the gods of this world are doing today. But the one true God, he is holy in that he gave his life for us. He acts out of purity. He acts out of cleanliness. He didn't want his people to die. 
He wanted to save them from all the wickedness and evil that was befalling them. You see, man was separated from God. We're still separated for those not saved. And God in his holiness, he revealed his glory in the person of his son. He redeemed man back from the clutches of the devil. And God's holiness reveals his glory. See, it reveals who he is. See, he is a great and awesome God. He's a God who delivers his children from the clutches of evil. And we are called to be holy. You know why? Because it keeps us clean. It keeps us pure. It keeps us separated from sin. You know, it was his holiness that destroyed Pharaoh. It was his holiness that hates sin. It was his holiness that delivered Israel. It was his holiness that put his son on the cross. And it was his holiness that sheds his love abroad in a person's heart and saves them. 1 Peter 1.13 tells us, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. We have a, a God who is glorious in his holiness. It tells us there also in verse 11 that he is fearful in praises. Now, the word fearful was, was very interesting. It means to, to hold in reverence and also to be afraid. So the praise of God's people for him, for, for us, it's a real joy to us. But to his enemies, it's a very fearful thing. Praise refers to sing. It's a word for hymns. Where God's held in the highest esteem. It's a, it's a commendation. It's to glorify Psalm 66 one says, Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Sing forth the honour of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say unto God, How terrible art thy in thy works. Through the greatness of thy power shall thy enemies submit themselves unto thee. Listen, you, who would love the devil to leave them alone? Amen. We would, wouldn't we? And he wasn't at your place yesterday because he's at mine. He can't be everywhere at once. But you praise God. You sing the praises of his name. You start giving him the glory for all that he has done. You start telling God of his wonderful works. And the devil's not able to stand it. You know, nothing lifts a heavy soul like singing the praises of God. When you're down... Recall the great hymns that we sing. Recall, the, sing some verses back to him. Your soul will be lifted. Nothing fills a person's heart with more joy than singing the praises of God. There is no better way to fight off the attacks of Satan than to sing the praise of God. You know, if your spirit is a bit downcast and you're starting to feel the, the pressures of life and the, the pressures of relationships and work, then praise God. Because praising God takes the focus off the situation. Praising God takes the focus off the circumstances. It takes the focus off ourselves and it refocuses on the only one who can take care of it all. 
I heard a man say once, Satan's allergic to the praise of God. See, praise is what relieves the pressure. That lets the steam out instead of letting it build up. We had one of those afternoons, something goes wrong and you're walking around the house and you can feel yourself swelling up ready to burst. Start praising God and let the pressure out. Now, before I met my wife and knew what cooking was, I put a tin of food in a pot of boiling water once and I, I didn't know you had to poke a hole in it. <laughs> and it boils away and boils away and, and if there's no hole, it just explodes. But you know, the tiniest little hole in that tin lets the pressure out, lets the pressure off. That's all it takes to stop. It's just a tiny little hole to let the pressure out. And when we're under pressure, it only takes one moment of taking the focus of ourselves and praising God and the pressure begins to come off. And the more praise, the less pressure. The circumstances are put back in their, their proper perspective and God's placed in his proper position. He gets back on the throne of our hearts and there from there he can rule. Victory starts with praising God. Satan can't handle it. And let me tell you something, God pays attention to it. God does wonders, it tells us there. Doing wonders in verse 11. The, the word pilar means a marvellous thing. It comes from the word paulor, which is the word for a miracle. Let me tell you, God is still in the business of miracles, brothers and sisters. Not, not through men, but through himself. God's still at work. He's a wonderful God. He's a powerful God. He's an all-knowing, ever-present God. And he supplies us with the wonder of his grace. Even when we don't deserve it, he gives it. And God is a great and awesome God. Amen? That's who God is. What has God done? Well, look at verses 12 to 15. Thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold of the inhabitants of Palestina. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab trembling shall take hold upon them. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. See, now we're talking about the goodness of God. A.W. Tozer wrote of God's goodness. He said, the goodness of God is that which is, disposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill towards men. By his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness, and he takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people. Do you know, everything comes from the goodness of God. Without the goodness of God, there's no mercy. There is no love. There is no justice. And it's all there because God is good. Listen, if God's not good, what's the difference between heaven and hell? What's the difference between being kind and cruel? No, God is good. And here the song's remembering what God's did for him. See, they remembered his mercy. It was his mercy that led him to save his people. They received what they didn't deserve. In other words, they were let out of the bondage. They were set free from their enemies. Think of this. They saw the Red Sea open and God provide for them a way of escape, the way they should go. And they also saw that God destroyed their enemy. 
See, we see what we see is the evidence of God's power at work for his children and that their enemies were afraid of them. You know, when they came to the promised land, they were all the enemies in that land. They were already scared of the Israelites. Why? Because they didn't have to see what God had done. They had heard what God had done for his people and they were melting away because of it. You know that our enemies need to hear what God's doing in our lives? They need to hear and, and know how, what God has saved us from. And that's why a Christian's life should be a testimony to the great works of God. God's humility, his power to overcome temptation, the, the faith, the hope and the mercy that we all have, his love. You see, it was God's unfailing love, his tenderness, his faithfulness, that prompted him to act for his people. He heard their cries of anguish. He, he heard their cries of sorrow. He saw the affliction they were under and he redeemed them. He brought them back. He repurchased them back to himself. And he brought them to the promised land. Look, it says, Thou hast guided them in thy strength under thy holy habitation. Now, they were able to say this even though they had left the fruits of Egypt and they were standing on the edge of the desert. They weren't occupied with what was facing them. They were occupied with the thoughts of the one who was going before them. And that's where we need to be. Not occupied with what we've had, what it was like before, what it's like now. We're to be occupied with the thoughts of the one who is leading us and taking us onto the promised land. See, these people had been saved and they knew. They knew they could depend upon the one who saved them. Is that where we are today? No matter if it's life or death, that we can depend upon the one who has saved us. Doesn't matter what they would face, and it doesn't matter what we face. They could trust in his plan and his purpose. Because there was no limit to what God could accomplish. No wonder they're singing his praises. Why? Because they're looking to him. And the fact is, we can never sing with real worship and real power when we're looking at ourselves. And you look at the modern Christian music today, it's all about self. It's not about God at all. How good we are, how good we look. What we can do for God. Man, they've got it so wrong, haven't they? But we can look to God. Because he's washed us clean in the blood of the Lamb. We've been washed white as snow. Doubts and fears do not have to overcome God's children. Because we have an eternal and full salvation. And when we believe that, when we, we live in that fact, there's no place for doubts to build up. There's no place for fears to enter in. You see, the work of Christ on the cross, his resurrection from the tomb are a sure foundation that it's a perfect work, a work that's real and true. See, we ought to say he is risen from the dead. It's not a story, it's a truth. He could not have left the tomb unless all reason of fear and doubt of what he had done for man was, was completely fulfilled. You see, because what God has done, the Christ, we have the privilege of victory. It's a full salvation, brothers and sisters. Don't let anyone tell you anything less. 
It is the Lord himself who has become our salvation and we're to enjoy the fruits of that salvation and we are to walk to the praise and glory of his name while we wait for the day when Jesus is going to reign forever and ever. That's what God has done. What is he going to do? Verse 16 tells us, Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of thy arm they shall be as still as a stone till the people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over which thou hast purchased. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. You know, God had promised a land in Genesis 12 and 13, a, a land we're told that's flowing with milk and honey. That's a promised land. When you get, if you ever get the chance to go to Israel, go, because that's what it's like. I've never seen grapefruit so big. I thought there were soccer balls hanging off a tree. And you go through the border into Jordan and the fruit's crying. That's so poor. The land, everything is abundance in the promised land. A land that is truly flowing with milk and honey. A promised land and nothing and no one can stop the promises of God. In the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. See, the, those who God has purchased, according to verses 17 and 18, will see the promised land. You see, these people here now, they're no longer owned by the Egyptians. They now belong to God. They're his possession. And by bringing them out of Egypt, God purchased them for himself. He's prepared a place. He will bring them into it. He's established it with his own hands. And that's, what a blessing. He'll reign forever and ever. Now, Revelation 21.3 tells us, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Listen, we who have been purchased by our Lord and Saviour, we have been bought with a price. We'll one day enter the promised land. You know, as Christians, we, we, we have a new condition. We're no longer dead to God, but alive to him. Ephesians 2.4 tells us, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ, by grace he has saved. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Isn't it great to know that the Christian life is fantastic? It's wonderful. Isn't it great to know there's so much more to come for those who are in Christ Jesus? There's a great and mighty future with, with a great and mighty God. And we've been called by God to fellowship with himself through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Jesus became one with us in death. He became dead, but the power of death could not hold him. 
He was quickened from the dead. He was raised from the dead. And he was then exalted to his present position at the right hand of God the Father in the heavenly. You see, he died. He rose again. He ascended to heaven. And we believers who were dead in trespasses and sins, we have been raised from the dead spiritually and the end of our salvation will one day be the resurrection of the body and we will have a glorious body. Isn't that going to be amazing? A glorious body just like our Lord's. And I say amen for that one. Now we may feel that we might be in the wilderness in this world at times, but there's a Canaan land, a promised land, and God will, without doubt, bring us into it to live eternally with him, secure and safe forever brothers and sisters i encourage us all let's not wait till then to sing his praises let's do it today so that the world that is watching us can know and see who god is what god has done and what god is going to do he's promised us a land a wonderful place called glory land Heaven's the home Christ has prepared for us. And if you are born again, then we will stand on the shores of that home if we be in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the encouraging words that you give to us. We thank you, Lord, that we're, we're on our way home. And what a blessing it is to know that truly. Help us, Lord, to again live to the glory of your name. Help us to understand that you will never leave us nor forsake us. That there is nothing that can overtake us. There's no temptation we can't get out of because you have made a way for us right through this wilderness and promised us a land to come. And we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.